0: Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 238 for Monday, March 27th, 2023. My name is Joel Duggan and joining me as always is my friend Johnny, but you may know him better as pixel riffs the king <laughs> you may bow um <laughs> wasn't expecting that kind of <laughs> the royal
1: introduction um but uh, we've been talking about all sorts of other things in the render distance the extended version of the podcast that you can get if you join our patreon at patreon.com slash the spawn chunks we've been talking about holiday plans weirdly even though uh, spring is barely upon us the time change and the slightly sunnier weather has made me think of warmer climes and so we've been chatting all about that if you want to hear about joel and i's potential travel plans and and where we've been on memorable holidays in the past, once again, patreon.com slash chunks. And of course, we have some stuff coming up for patrons. We had our monthly Minecraft hangout last Saturday, but I think next Saturday or perhaps the Saturday after at the time of this I think it's the the weekend of April 8th uh, we're going to be having our quarterly hangout which is where we discuss all the behind the scenes stuff about the podcast all the facts and figures listener numbers like YouTube performance all that kind of stuff so if that's your bag if you're one of the the stats people that you really want to know what's going on behind the scenes then that's definitely one to check out
0: so what have you been up to in Minecraft this week my friend
1: well, um, yes, completely unrelated to the castle I'm building, I'm currently the king of empires. <laughs> After, you know, we got we got a bit of story stuff, we got a bit of roleplay going on on empires. So I've discovered a crown in the catacombs under my base, um, and it's fairly similar to a crown that circulated towards the end of empires season one. Um, so whoever holds this crown basically gets to make a rule that the rest of the server is supposed to follow it if you don't there may be consequences to that there may be rewards for following it you know quickly and to the letter and that kind of thing um i have decreed as as ruler that everyone should donate one artifact of historical importance to my museum kind of strong-arming people into it, it, getting involved a little bit but really i just decided it was a fun way to if not necessarily have people donate their most important stuff like they've all got you know textured weapons and elytra and all this stuff that they're using constantly so they could donate that and then you know be without a shield for a really long period of time and see how see how that affects their gameplay or they could donate a weapon and then try and use that as an excuse to forge something new or they can you know there's a couple of loopholes in there they could persuade me with enough storytelling that this is some really important fish that's been lying around in the kingdom for however long and that deserves to be put up in a frame in the museum. And really, I just find it a fun way of getting people to tell stories about their empire and maybe consider where their series has come from and the emotional value of things that we all know are really just digital and therefore disposable or could be infinitely recreated. Uh, so it's a bit of fun basically is is what i decided to have while well, i've got the crown um something tells me it won't be on my head for too much longer because there was a uh, a pretty a pretty fierce competition to see who could uh, claim the crown last season but we'll see how all of that goes um but being the king of course i have to do some castle building so that has continued and continued and continued so far i have the the footprint of it figured out and I basically just need to close off the back wall, but I ran out of time on this most recent stream. And I've come up with a couple of really neat ways of using the space. There's going to be a lot of internal courtyards and private gardens and places where they can grow crops and stuff like that. But once I got to where the throne room was going to be, really, in the kind of central keep of the whole thing... I'm still leaning on Elden Ring a lot for inspiration, and I started to think about shapes and what other shapes that I could work into this collection of squares and towers that are inevitably going to be circles, and I thought, what's an octagon gonna look like? And unless you build them really large, they just look like kind of wonky circles, but the tool that I used to look it up, which I'll try and find for the show notes, uh, had a way of overlaying several shapes on top of each other. It it could effectively create another octagon that kind of twisted at however many degrees it would take to form an interesting shape. And so I've ended up with almost like an eight-pointed star-shaped building that's coming off of one side of the throne room. And I'm thinking about this in the way that They would structure the environment in the fromsoft game where you get to the throne room maybe it's empty just for the gravitas of the whole thing you find this empty throne and then the boss is actually in a neighboring room and it takes you by surprise because you're not expecting them but then maybe they come crashing through the wall and the fight actually takes place in the throne room or something so even though that's not something i'm going to be able to recreate in minecraft i'm thinking about the environment design for how all of that would go and in the meantime, the footprint of the castle is just massive, <laughs> so I'm I'm giving myself a lot of scope to do stuff if I've got the time for it, but if not, once again, this is going to be a ruin, as the rest of the town is, so the structure can still be in a state of disrepair, and it's still going to feel like it fits the environment that it's sat in.
0: That's a smart way to time manage, you know, like kind of have at least part of the castle be planned to be, to be broken down and in ruins, and that could easily be the stuff that you either just didn't have time for, or... You know, if, if you can't quite figure out how to, you know, attach it to other things in the area, then you could just use the the ruins as like a way to kind of like smish them together and have them look cohesive in, in yeah. a single area. Yeah, it's nice. I, I You're not kidding about it being large. I'm looking at the screenshot that you're sharing in our, our Discord right now and like they are like, I want to say it's, it's a good quarter to third the size of my town. Like it's <laughs> it's, it's uh... got to be, it's got to be what, like four or six chunks wide. Or like the long, because it's kind of like longer one way than it is the other.
1: Yeah, yeah. Now this this is the the largest build I probably will have undertaken. Uh, I'm I'm doing everything in my power to avoid calling it a megabase, because you know mm-hmm. how I feel about that as nomenclature. Yes. But um, yeah. Like o- overall, it, it's one of the largest single builds if you want to count everything within the walls as a single build uh, that I've that I've ever undertaken. So I. I have a lot of enthusiasm for it. I don't have a lot of resources for it anymore because I've used a lot of stone in this and I'm starting to work on texturing stuff and figuring out how I want to approach that because I could go really overboard with the detail but right now all I really want to do is sort out the sight lines and avoid what you've helpfully described to me in the past as being tangents. Uh, Mm. So the cliff, if you look at it from ground level where the rest of the ruins are, sort of at ground level where my base has been for the last little while. The cliff is all grey, and then there's a plateau of grass on top of that, but since that's recessed back from the edge of the cliff, it's not all that easy to see. And so right now it looks like grey, and then... You can kind of tell there's a bit of a gap there, but it's just more grey castle walls beyond that. So I really want to start doing enough texturing to differentiate between the two so you can understand the depth of that from a distance without me having to redo all of my terraforming work and building up the grass paths around the outside so that they're a little bit more present. Um, The scale of the castle and the structure is obviously going to come into play after a while, but in the meantime I at least want to lay the the groundwork for it being visibly distinct from the cliff in front of it.
0: And you could do things like add some rubble piled up at the bottom of the of the wall that's a different color, like cobblestone or something like that that would stand out a little bit more. Um, or you could even add like bushes and overgrowth, the vines yeah. going up the side of things. And that, that color difference will help. I, I did the same thing uh, recently when I was doing the moat work in West I kind of, I added in a a bush that was between a, like kind of like a, a rock outcrop and a very similarly colored uh, wall of the keep and i needed to separate the two and i ended up just putting a bush between them Is like oh perfect like it does it does exactly what you think it's gonna do but i like what you've got going on with the, the texture work it looks like um smooth basalt and deep slate maybe
1: there's basalt and mud for the most part oh, it's, it's it's regular basalt polished basalt and mud um and the mud is really good for being a darker variant of stone if you're not hearing the sounds that it's making to understand that it's mud i think that's (laughs) that's what i've tried to use it as in some of the other builds in this series so far like the great bridge used a lot of that for shading and that kind of thing Mm -hmm. but um yeah i think i'm i'm getting there with this stuff. I think it's going to, like you said, have a bit more foliage in there to convey, yeah, this has been overgrown because it's been there for a while, maybe some trees climbing the walls once I have an idea of how high the walls are going to be, that kind of stuff. So it's early days, and it's going to have to progress pretty fast if I want to keep pace with it for the the remainder of the series, but I think it's uh, it's going to be pretty pretty fun when it's done. If nothing else, I'm trying to get a functional exterior for the place, and if the interior doesn't get done, maybe whoever has the world download might be able to do a bit more work on the interior, but uh, I kind of like where it's at so far
0: sometimes interiors come together faster than you think in terms of like connecting corridors and courtyards and putting up walls and things like that because you end up walking through those spaces rather than standing in them and looking around mm-hmm. so the builds can sometimes come together a lot a lot faster but knowing what you have for reference and inspiration from Elden Ring like I'm really looking forward to seeing the front gate of this like it, it looks like it's <laughs> going to be quite imposing and a really interesting combination of very large sturdy towers but a relatively small opening as far as the gate goes in comparison yeah so it feels yeah. like a really sturdy wall with like you only get to come in here yes <laughs> it's not like a big grand gate with um remind me the name of the gate that you have at the end of the bridge because that's gonna that's like a 10 or 12 wide opening right
1: yeah and that, that was just the great bridge gatehouse i suppose but yeah that that was like, that was also taken from, I think, Lanedale in Elden Ring. It's sort of in, in the in the capital city there. But Stormve- uh, Stormvale Castle is the, the, the thing that I'm basing this on. And that's got the, the superimposing entrance to it. And then inside, once you've traveled up a path, there's this courtyard that's laid out that's got a stockade there. And if you try and go in through the main gate, there's a ton of people with, like, flamethrowers and there's archers and crossbowmen who will fire on you and stuff like that. And so... Part of the reason i designed this with one of the first things you get to being one of those large courtyards is planning to recreate some elements of that but also imagining this is a a gate that people could take their wares through and unload as and, and set up like a market and trade with the people in the castle or like bring stuff as tribute or whatever but without them being let into the central part of the castle itself and so, you know, there's going to be some more guarded entrances and there's a training yard for the soldiers that's connected to that courtyard, but kind of concealed from the main entrance. And I'm thinking a lot about sight lines and, and you know, how easy it would be to defend certain things. And this is nice. the first time I've built a castle that's in a defensible position because the last castle I built in Survival Guide was in the basin basically of a valley so everybody in the comments said this is the least defensible castle position imaginable and i went well that's not (laughs) not exactly my priority when i was building it but then that was before they added pillagers to the game so now i'm thinking about things very differently
0: yeah yeah it's fun when you start to think about things from a functional standpoint you know like i've been adding like little raised platforms along my walls to make sure that when you stand there you're not just staring at the front of the wall like you can actually see over it and down in a strategic sort of position because like i mean unfortunately with everything being so big in minecraft you kind of have to get the Gimli box for everybody to stand on (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) and that's really what i've been spending my week doing is just kind of puttering around doing different little things like that in in west hill um i went from uh outside the the build i was putting together a um, stone bridge which is um, sturdy and pretty simple. I'm quite happy with it, though. I kind of was overcomplicating it as I was building it because I was so used to having these ornate things inside the the city. Uh, and now that I've, I'm outside of it, I'm just kind of kind of completing the the things that you can see when you're standing kind of at the city. Like I kind of want any kind of bridge or any kind of like landscape that you can see to look like it's at least been touched a little bit, like landscaped. And you know, things that are really at a place removed, like weird little pockets of water that Minecraft puts down or lava pockets. Like I'm trying to get rid of all that kind of stuff. And so I did the stone bridge and it was really fun to, to put together and not an arch. Like it's a, it's a flat bridge with arch supports underneath it. So it's very Roman, I guess, in the way that it looks and, um, putting in little details, like having drain holes in the side of it and having the arches and and having the, the river be carved out deep enough that I can put like, Mossy cobble and tough at the bottom to make it look like it's it's had some fill put at the bottom of the river so that the cement blocks have something sturdy to stand on. Mm-hmm. All that kind of function informed stuff really kind of went a long way uh, to making it look the way that it, it does. And I I want to give people a tip like if you're having trouble with bridges in Minecraft, like make them fat. Like make the pillars of them like three by seven or five by five or something just more than you think you really need. Uh, And it really makes a difference. And I I went and I looked up a bunch of different stone bridges on Pinterest, and so many of them didn't have legs. They just had arches. And going underneath each arch was more like going through a tunnel than it would be when you're looking at bridges these days in most cities. They have legs, they have struts, they have supports because it's all steel. Whereas with stone bridges, you, you couldn't really do that. And so taking those kind of cues from the pictures and going with a much more solid design made it simple. It came together faster than I thought it was going to. Um, yeah. but, uh, it was a lot of fun. It's fun to walk across too. Like it feels like a very functional part of the environment now. And that, you know, there's obviously a lot of traffic and travelers and merchants and things that would come into town from away. Um, I mean, the road just kind of stops a chunk or two out, outside the bridge. Cause I, there's no point in doing more cause you can't see beyond that point. So but it was a lot of fun to put together.
1: I feel like we also have this tendency a lot of the time in Minecraft to think of bridges and like, you know, environments like this as something you have to childproof a little bit. And so often when I'm building a bridge, I'm not even thinking about how the bridge is supported. I'm thinking about like what's the what's the guardrail going to be like, you know, like am I am I going to make something more ornate here? And I think the simplicity of the Sort of barriers that you've got on each side, being like a slab thick, and and on each of the uh, the the archway supports, you've got just like a a raised section where it comes up to be to be a full block. That's so simple; it complements the design of the archways and the supports really well. And it doesn't have to be something that looks like you know, you're not going to fall off the side of it. Yeah, people could probably hop from this bridge into the river. It's just about the practical concerns of would they want to, you know? And and I think there's there's so much overthinking that goes into bridge design a lot of the time that sometimes simpler is better. With a bit of texture like you've done here and a couple of small details, it just really fits as part of the world.
0: Thanks. Yeah, I mean, it uh, it feels good to walk across. And like you said, it's, it's wide enough that you don't feel like you're going to fall off because even if you don't walk down the dead middle, you're still two meters from the side of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I've definitely walked across bridges, you know, as a tall person, if I go th- to a small town in New Brunswick, I've walked across bridges where the railings barely come up to my waist, you yeah. know, like it's, it's fine for shorter people, but I'm not particularly feeling safe as I walk up to the edge to look over. Um, but then a- after I, I finish the bridge, I move back inside and it's, we're getting to the point on the, on the to-do list where I'm kind of like going through and, and kind of picking what I'm in the mood for and i avoided doing the texture on the western road Uh, i did eventually do the texture and and do the lighting on the western road it took like an entire stream but uh it's worth it because it's now done and when you walk through the area you don't have like that check mark of like oh god like this i really need to get back and finish this it's one of the only things in this area that's not finished and so that's now all wrapped up Uh, and then i moved on to the curtain wall and I thought yeah sure I'm in the I'm in the mood to to work on this forgetting just how long the north curtain wall is mm-hmm. and uh, cuz it's the longest section of the wall in the whole whole town and in many cases it's also the highest because the terrain changes behind it and so as you go down towards the river the wall is quite tall and I thought I need to put in a railing here but I don't want to add a railing onto the existing depth of the wall which is two to three blocks in places and then you start going on angles and when you start putting blocks only two or three uh, you know blocks apart it feels very claustrophobic as you're Mm -hmm. walking down it and you can sometimes start bouncing off things so i added like an extension i put like some stone stairs and some dark oak logs and kind of added like wooden banisters and wooden railings where needed uh added onto the wall and it really kind of helps a couple of things it helps give it some definition between the wall and the road below it helps uh, obviously you feel a lot safer as you're walking along it but it gives a um kind of a i don't want to say pop of color but it gives some contrast and some different hues to a very gray environment where the only brown is like the roofs of the towers and now we've got you know a, a variation of trapdoors and buttons and signs and all the details that go along with putting in these supports. And I've found that a nice thing that I've been able to do is discover something new, like the way that I want to support a trapdoor fence or the way that, uh, I want to make sure I add a railing by widening the, um, the wall it then kind of changes the way that I address what's happening below so that in one case on the north wall, there was a door that kind of goes into the wall and there was no archway before. There was no inlay. The door was just flat up against the wall. But because I needed to widen the, the walkway above, I didn't want to just make the door deeper or bring those bricks all the way down because it makes the road below too narrow. So then I have this new found depth To one of the details that was just kind of put there for fun and things like that are are really kind of a nice way to go back over the the work that you've done that was like 95 percent finished Mm -hmm. and then as i'm adding these details i'm taking it that extra five percent so i'm like oh yeah okay i can move this staircase or i can add a few things in this tower and i am sort of looking at the roofs of the towers now i want to change them just a little bit they're probably the earliest things that i built in the town are these little kind of like pyramid shaped tower roofs everything else in the town is not a 45 degree angle and mm-hmm. so they kind of feel a little bit boring so i'm going to try and do something with them it might be just as something as simple as taking the top three layers and just kind of like pushing them up a little bit just to kind of get a little bit more of a slope but we'll see but it's still ongoing like i haven't finished the the north wall yet we we have to go back through the whole thing um oh sorry not the whole thing just the, the second half of it, I still haven't done all the set dressing, like the crates and the barrels and, you know, putting things inside the the towers and the towers don't have any um rafters because I wanted to make the roof changes before I added the rafters inside. But that's kind of where I am with it. It, it was a lot of fun. I don't have a screenshot, but one of my favorite little additions was I used some coal, a coal block trapdoors to make a barrel of what looks like pitch. And then a couple Mm -hmm. of little barrel mini blocks. So it looks like there might be some black pitch that, you know, arrow um, arrows could be dipped in to be fired off the wall, lit on fire, or just like dump barrels of pitch over the edge. And this little things like that really are a lot of fun to add when you've got a lot of open space or you're feeling like the area needs something. And sometimes it's just like one or two blocks. And that's all to kind of keep it from being a bland area of like a nine by nine of bricks. Sometimes just adding in a barrel or a crate or something like that, a wagon in the corner, and that's all you need to just kind of make it feel like a functional space. You know, like somebody uses this for something.
1: Dude, I'm taking notes. I'm <laughs> I'm definitely thinking that a lot of a lot of these are are situations where I'll I'll come across the same thing maybe a couple of weeks from now when I'm working on stuff in the castle and like i mean if i ever get to the 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 detail pass that you're on where you're just like tweaking little things so that everything is just right i'll be so happy but in the meantime i i need to adopt more of the way you've organized your streams and the tasks you've been doing on the way you've you've actually gone in with a plan to get a specific building done or like work on this that you started last stream yeah So often when I go into these things, I'm improvising and just hopping around between things in a project and just doing whatever appeals to me at the time, and I get distracted by other things. So I really think I need to go in with an agenda, and if I'm going to get this castle thing at least somewhat done, then I I need to be a lot more organized about it.
0: I think one of the things that you could benefit from would be taking a look at what parts of the castle are dependent on other parts. Right. Yeah. Like so if you want to build the gate, first you should probably build the two towers, one on either side of the gate. Right. Like that's a very mm-hmm. simple way to look at it. But if you're looking at, say, like, the courtyard inside where all the market people are gonna go, or the the throne room or whatever, like you'd have to think about like the key elements. It's like if the throne room is gonna have two floors, then I should also remember where the stairs gonna go and have those kind of at least in mind first, and then it kind of informs how you're gonna put everything together. And I found like for me when building like little houses around my town for you, it's probably gonna be like the different structures within the castle. Mm-hmm. But you would say, I really wanna build this i don't know specific idea that I have for maybe a chapel within the, the walls. But if the chapel is up against like the curtain wall or if the chapel is, is on an angle or something like that, sometimes you have to build the other thing before you know what space restrictions you have on the chapel. And so it's almost like, what would be the priority, the wall or the chapel? And then you have to build the priority first. And I find that's, that was really helpful for me, that logical kind of way of thinking. of like, okay, well, I want to have a small house here, but it's not as important as the big house that you look at when you walk in and the big house that you walk by down the road. So I have to build the two big houses first before I figure out what this little one is going to be. And I think that's how my candle shop ended up being what it was because like I needed, something to fill that space the other ones were more important because they were corner builds and then the candle shop was just something i could fit in that space and i find that that's a a logical way to approach things it tends to help with like any kind of creative block as well right because you're like i'm sort of in the mood for this but i'm not sure how to approach it then if you just like well if i approach the things that need to be done first then at least i know what i have to do today you know
1: yeah, I think I'm, I'm probably going to start working on like foreground elements first and the stuff that's going to be yes. A, visible from the ground level in the town, but also is going to set the bar for how high anything on the inside needs to be so that it can be seen over the wall, for example. And yeah, so, yeah, I think starting with the front gate and the towers is going to set the tone for how tall this wall needs to be. And then I can work on the interior stuff from there. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot to think about, but hopefully I'll have a lot of time to think. Um... In the meantime, next on our agenda is the news, and we have a surprising amount to cover today, so I think we should just get
0: right into it. Yep, sounds like work to me. (laughs) And it's all good work, I I should say. Absolutely. Uh, Minecraft Java Edition Snapshot 23w12a was released on March 22nd. New features in 23w12a. All features and changers from update 1.20 experimental packs are now part of the game. Vibration resonance functionality has been added to blocks of amethyst. The calibrated skulk sensor block has been added. Suspicious gravel, more archeology span sites, and new pottery shards have been added. Five new armor trims have been added. Signs have improved customization options. The sniffer egg is now in the game. The pitcher plant, a new decorative plant, has also been added. Blocks of amethyst have a new behavior when placed adjacent to skulk sensors. This is called vibration resonance. If the skulk sensor receives a vibration, the block of amethyst will re-emit the frequency as a separate vibration at its location. This behavior is called vibration resonance and allows players to move vibration frequencies across long distances without having to recreate the vibration naturally. Calibrated skulk sensors are a new variant of skulk sensors which allow the player to filter vibration based on their frequency level. They are not found naturally and can only be crafted using one skulk sensor and three amethyst shards in the crafting table. One side of the calibrated skulk sensor can receive a redstone signal as input. The strength of that redstone signal is the only vibration frequency the skulk sensor will listen to. Under archaeology, the new Suspicious Gravel block has the same characteristics as Suspicious Sand. Suspicious Gravel can be found in Cold Ocean Ruins and Warm Ocean Ruins. Sniffer Eggs can be found in Suspicious Gravel at these locations. Trail Ruins are a new buried structure from a Lost Culture. Four Armor Trim templates can be found in the Trail Ruins. 16 new Pottery Shards have been added, bringing the total of unique Pottery Shards to 20. Pottery shards have been distributed between the five archaeological sites, desert wells, desert temples, cold ocean ruins, warm ocean ruins, and the new trail ruins. New armor trim smithing templates have been added to the following structures. Trail ruins now have a possibility of finding wayfinder armor trim, razor armor trim, shaper armor trim, or host armor trim, and in the ancient city, you can find the silence armor trim. The Dune armor trim now has a brand new pattern and smithing template icon. The Doom armor trim's old pattern is now used in the Sentry armor trim, which is now receiving a new icon to reflect this change. The Sentry armor trim's old pattern is now used by the new Shaper armor trim. Sign text can now be edited after the sign has been placed in the world. That's worth reading twice. Sign text can now be edited after being placed in the world. This can be done by interacting with the sign. Both sides of the sign can now have a separate text and separate color, allowing for further customization options. By default, a sign will prompt you to input the front side of the text. To apply text to the back side, you must walk to the other side and interact with the other face to edit it. Signs can be waxed with honeycomb, preventing further edits to the text. Click commands on signs can now only be evoked when the sign is waxed. If a sign is not waxed, then when you use a click command, you will simply interact with the sign as expected. The sniffer egg can be found in suspicious sand in warm ocean ruins. When two sniffers breed, they do not immediately spawn a snifflet. Instead, a sniffer egg is dropped. When placed on moss, the sniffer egg will hatch after approximately 10 minutes or on other blocks, the sniffer egg will hatch in approximately 20 minutes. The sniffer can now occasionally sniff up a pitcher pod, which is an item that uh, can be used to plant the pod in farmland, which grows into a pitcher crop. The pitcher crop has five growth stages. Once fully grown, the pitcher crop can be harvested, yielding a two block tall pitcher plant. Further changes in 23W12A. Vibration frequencies of many actions in the game have been tweaked. Wither effect particles colors have been adjusted to make it more distinguishable. The color of the potion of slow falling has been adjusted to make it more distinguishable. Step sounds can now be combined for blocks walked through and stepped on. In preparation for the calibrated skulk sensor, vibration frequencies have been greatly simplified to prevent unwanted interference. The following are the category descriptions for each frequency and the expected events that they correspond to one movement at any medium land water and air two landing on any surface land or water three item interactions four gliding with an elytra or unique mob actions like a ravager roar or wolf shaking five dismounting a mob or equipping gear six mounting a mob or interacting with a mob seven mobs and players getting damaged eight consuming items drinking and eating Blocks deactivating is number nine. That's like a door close, a chest close, or a button unpress. 10 is blocks activating, the opposite, door opening, chest opening, button press, etc. 11 blocks changing, like a cauldron water level rising, adding food to a campfire, etc. 12 blocks being destroyed, 13 blocks being placed, 14 mobs and players teleporting or spawning, and 15 mobs and players dying. Or an explosion. Combination step sounds combine two different step sounds. This occurs for carpets, snow, nether sprouts, as well as warped and crimson roots. The topmost block you are walking on is played as normal. The block underneath is played at a lower volume and lower pitch. Technical changes and bugs in 23W12A. There have been a number of changes to structure, post processors, game events, tags, and display entities. Several bugs related to the new Trails and Tails features have also been fixed. For the full list of bugs and an explanation of the technical changes, please refer to the minecraft.net article linked in our show notes.
1: If that wasn't enough, there is more. Uh, And more comes in the form of a Bedrock Edition beta and preview. This is 1.19.80.22. You'll find the changelog linked in our show notes over at feedback.minecraft.net. The new additions in this Uh, beta and preview include calibrated skulk sensors, vibration resonance with amethyst, sign improvements, armor trims, the trail ruins structures, suspicious sand and gravel in warm and cold ocean ruins, and 16 more pottery shards. All of those are identical to the Java edition changes we just mentioned, so no need to expand upon those here. The cherry grove biome has also received new petal particles for cherry leaves, and pink petals now make a sound when adding more petals to them. Features and bug fixes are going to be a little different from Java, so we'll briefly cover some of those. In accessibility news, they've temporarily reverted the recent adjustments made to potion effect colors, as they were not compatible with custom content, nor with the textures used for potions and tipped arrows. The focus indicator is now automatically visible on menu items when using a keyboard. In gameplay news, the player's camera no longer appears inside blocks when sprint and swim are held, Players are now forced to stop flying when forced into a one and a half block tall space. Sneaking without the experimental toggle no longer overrides custom collision boxes, and Shipwreck supply chests are no longer missing moss blocks as loot. One small addition to the touch controls, they've enabled a new stack splitting UI, and the editor that we spent a lot of time discussing last week has had a few changes as well. They've fixed some issues with the UI not scaling properly when the resolution or game window size is updated, item drops have been disabled in editor mode. This allows for undo, redo, and cut, copy, paste to work properly. Items will no longer be left floating in the world. They fixed a bug where tool mode would use the third person camera if it was the active camera when switching from crosshair mode. The first person camera is always used in tool mode. They fixed camera control being disabled when using a Nether or End portal in crosshair mode, and they've removed the old stone cutter and Nether reactor core from the block picker. There are a handful of other minor tweaks and technical changes arriving with this preview. Full details once again are at the feedback.minecraft.net post linked above. Oh, I think we both need a bit of a lie down after that one,
0: Joel. I think we need a rest. Like, what is this news thing about anyway? Gosh. I'm going to raise my hand and point at Mojang and say, didn't you say like two weeks ago that 1.20 is feature complete as far as announcements were (laughs) going to go? they, They said that they
1: had announced they've revealed all the major features they had planned. But these are just expansions and tweaks to existing features. They are pretty substantial, though. <laughs> and it yes. is really, it's really nice to see them still dropping surprises on us after saying, yeah, we're basically done with this. Actually, no, we're not done. This is the, the boss crashing through the wall that I mentioned earlier. They've, they've dumped a whole lot of stuff on us in this one. Um, most of which I think we're going to save for our main discussion this week. There's a few really juicy topics that we want to discuss it in a bit more depth. About their implication for the game and how we expect to use them and so forth but there's a couple of little little side things that i want to talk about here
0: mostly editable signs are you kidding me with this oh victory dance like total yeah yeah chair dance happening right now for sure i love that this is coming in after seeing hanging signs and the versatility of them it's the first thing I think I said on stream after seeing one in person. It's like, I yes. really hope we can put something on the other side of this. And then when you couldn't, you're like, really? This feels like it's been overlooked. Yeah. But obviously, it just wasn't in the game yet.
1: This was our only major gripe with hanging signs at this point. And yeah, they've they've so. resolved it and improved signs as well. Um, like waxing signs to like basically confirm that the contents are not going to be edited again makes perfect sense like i i mean it it doesn't it doesn't make a huge amount of sense for a sign in general but it's like you you've you've applied a glaze to it effectively and players will be used to that mechanic through using copper at this point so using honeycomb on something is basically like lock make no further changes um on the one hand, I'm actually kind of surprised they didn't include the change to signs in 119.4 because it feels like a huge quality of life change for people right. who spend a lot of their time editing text. But on the other hand, it does really tie in well with that whole customization storytelling idea for 1.20. And yeah, the, the fact that it ties in with hanging signs as well is, is, is great. But there are still a couple of things I haven't tested with this, like you can dye the text on each side of the sign individually i don't know like i presume if you go in and edit the text after that it keeps the dye color or does it revert back to black i have i haven't figured that out yet i haven't i haven't actually bothered testing all of that stuff because i just thought well that's probably going to work exactly as i expected to (laughs) so i didn't i didn't end up investigating too much further but the the thing that delights me the most about this and I tried this out in. I, I did a snapshot video earlier this week where I was looking through it because there was so much stuff. You can place arrows facing towards something on one side and it doesn't just clone the text on the other side of the sign and have the arrow like facing the wrong direction. You can go around, edit the other side of the sign, type the same message but have the arrow pointing left instead of right and it they both point the same way. And I'm just like, that's such a, that's such a
0: huge win on a really small scale but it, it works so, so well. It's going to make a lot of sense when you've got like another tunnels and you've got a multi, you know, player server and you just want to have my base is this way. And then it doesn't matter which direction you're coming from. You're going to see the sign pointing in the right direction and you don't need to have two signs. Yeah, you can just have the one. It's going to make a lot of sense, I think, in that way. I know you can apply glow ink to one side and not the other. So like you have to kind of apply it in two ways. And Mm -hmm. I like the fact that it's 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 separate because it makes sense like i mean in real life you could paint one side of a sign a different color than the other yeah and and i think it all it all kind of makes sense i'm a little surprised or i was a little surprised at first that we don't get like a two up editing view like left is the front right is the back sort yeah. of thing but i guess it does keep it very straightforward in terms of if you're facing that way and you're trying to figure out which way the arrow has to point on the backside as you're writing it, it makes a little bit more sense that you have to turn yourself around to the back of the sign, click on it, and then edit it. And then, you know, put on the other things. I haven't tried anything like editing a sign that's kind of half hanging off of something. So for example, like if you put a sign on a slab or a stair and you can see like the bottom corner on the back end of the sign, yeah. I wonder if you can still edit it in that way because it's up against a block. Oh, I and bet you
1: be- can. And that's kind of exciting in its own way.
0: <laughs> yeah, you could put some real details. Like I've been putting little small lowercase o's in the corner of my signs just to kind of make it look like nails. Yeah, And if you've got a situation like that where you either want or don't want there to be a nail in the corner, then having a nail on one side but not the other would be really cool or having some sort of decorative pattern. Or uh, I'm thinking even like imagine having a sign hanging down in like a modern city and on one side you want to put like red glow ink for something to indicate like an exit or something like that. But you don't want the exit to show when you're entering, right? Right. Yeah. So, you could have the entrance be white and the exit be red, you know, all on the same sign or on half signs. Like, I, there's, you could do some really, really interesting stuff with this.
1: RKO plays follows up to say in Java, you can edit a dyed and glowing sign. The message maintains both the dye and and the glow wonderful to hear also cool. think thinking about it just like you, you having the, the double-sided thing in a modern city i was thinking what if you put a hanging sign in the window of a shop and you write open on one side and closed on the other you nice. know yeah. so it's like hanging in in the doorway of a shop and even you could even go and edit that later if you wanted to close the shop it makes perfect sense it's so good and yeah i'm just i'm over the moon about that change alone that feels like something that people in future who pick up minecraft for the first time are not going to know the struggle of having signs that had less customizability than this and i'm happy for those people (laughs) because they they will never know the struggle um having said that there's still some other stuff that while it's not necessarily going to merit a full discussion i want to highlight like sniffer eggs they're simple they're great they're chunky they don't crack like turtle eggs they're not affected by gravity and you can hatch them faster on moss, which is kind of nice, kind of like reminiscent of the um, like maybe like a little nest that you could build for it or something. But like reminiscent of the, the texture of the sniffers back, like it, it kind of looks like it's got this big pad of moss growing from it. Um, and yeah, I, I almost wish that there was a circumstance in which they didn't hatch, like with turtle eggs where they only hatch if you plant them on sand. Um, because you imagine like dinosaur nest builds (laughs) that you could do with these big old eggs in the middle. Um, But obviously people want to hatch the sniffers so they can sniff up new plants and they're going to be rare enough to begin with at least that I can expect people will just want them to hatch right away. Um, But I wonder if maybe they'll consider putting in some functionality like that in future or maybe they don't hatch if there aren't any flowers around or they're nowhere near a grass or a moss block or something because I think people would end up prizing sniffer eggs once that they can breed them and get more of them from the adult sniffers they'd want to have them for decoration and and the flexibility that that provides
0: i like the idea of a sniffer egg only hatching on things like you know dirt sand gravel sand um you know moss organic stuff and then maybe not hatching on like deep slate and stone or like
1: nether rack like, or something yeah nether- like- yeah
0: maybe maybe nether rack would be like a nether items or or end items would be a good example because they'd be so weird and alien to the the whole overworld that could be a, a good way to kind of restrict it but then again you're stuck with like whatever colors those come in but i like the idea of of potentially having some sniffer eggs around as decoration um how did you feel about like the scale of it in, in the game because it's about the same size of a chest slightly different proportions but it's roughly the same size
1: I like it. I think it makes... It doesn't make a huge amount of sense when you compare it to other mob sizes, in a sense. But then, like, if you look at how large baby turtles are compared to the turtle eggs, like, that's kind of the same sort of thing. So the fact yeah. that a, a a snifflet that's basically like a two-by-one block size mob, it's about the size of a fully grown cow when it hatches, um, you know, those pop out of this giant egg like i think that makes sense for the proportions of the of the mob itself um so i'm i'm quite happy with them personally i don't think they need to be smaller or anything i think i think they they provide a really nice contrast to how small turtle egg clusters are with just how big and chunky one of them is
0: yeah i, I mean i thought that looked good in game i did find the icon for them in the hop bar really strange yeah that's that's the only odd the thing proportions it doesn't have the same proportions and it leans left as opposed to right and everything else in your toolbar leans right or is straight up and down and i think the turtle egg icon is like vertical right it's it's different than a spawn egg but it's in size but it's roughly the same sort of like egg shape it looks like a chicken egg shape with like decorations right yeah or
1: like or like the size of a diamond or something right yeah that that kind kind of of thing
0: yeah. yeah. They, I I understand that they maybe wanted to make it bigger because it's a huge thing like you want to communicate in the hotbar that when you put this down it could be quite large, right? So I, I get that. Um, but I'm surprised given that, that given the the scale of it in the game like that it doesn't just look like a block in your hand in the same yeah. way that a chest looks like it's got a 3D model in your hand as opposed to uh, an icon. That to me feels strange because I don't I can't think of anything in the game I guess the closest thing is like turtle eggs, candles, and sea pickles. They have a pixelated icon in your hand. But when you place them down, they, you, you get a, a cubic um, model. Same with flower pots. Yeah. But the flower pot in your hand and the flower pot that you put down are roughly the same size visually. Mm-hmm. But the sniffer egg in your hand versus what goes down in the ground are different sizes and different shapes entirely. Yeah. And so I kind of wonder whether they'll hone that a little bit. Because um, I, I like it on the ground. I like what it looks like on the ground. I like the sprite
1: for them, but I agree, actually, yeah. Like, it, it doesn't give the impression that this is something that you need to place in the world. So you can imagine players maybe getting a little confused and being like, what do I do with this? Am I supposed to leave it in an item frame or in a chest somewhere, or like, is it a, a crafting ingredient for something else? And I mean, it's an egg, so people might put two and two together and decide, hey, I should just put this on the ground and wait for it to hatch. But that's not what we do with chicken eggs already, and turtle eggs are the only other examples. So, yeah, curious. I wonder if they will make any changes to that to better indicate the fact that this is a a block, really, that you can place. But in the meantime, I think it's it's just adorable like I, I like the colors I like the, the design of it um, and yeah I, I would not change a whole lot like it, it cracks the same way a turtle egg does and I think that's a very effective thing to do and I assume it's based on like random ticks or something like that but I spent a lot of time in my world once I'd found one going around other shipwrecks and ruins looking for moss blocks because I was nowhere near a lush cave and this was a fresh world. And by the time I came back from that search, it had already hatched one stage. So the the hatching like radius seems to be still pretty, pretty
0: large. Well, that's good because like no one wants to sit and babysit it, right? Like you kind of want to keep it nearby, but you don't want to have to like just not be outside of like a, a small, small radius. That that makes sense to me. How do you feel about the the new pitcher plant?
1: I think it's fine. I mean, it's it's neat. It's a very different style from the two high flowers we're used to once again, it's just decorative. Um, I don't think this one even produces dye like the torch flower did. Um, so like, I-, I like the fact that we're getting some some new aesthetic things. I haven't played around with them too much. I just, you know, pulled one out of the creative menu and and grew it. And I kind of wish there was a way to stop them from growing in sort of the same way that the, the sniffer eggs hatching, I wish there was a way to stop that. Because pitcher plants look like almost oversized turnips with giant kind of sprouts almost like a you know, carrot top kind of sprout to them in the mid stages of growth and that's a really appealing aesthetic to me that almost looks like how I would want carrot crops to grow um, but for the fact that you know you get several carrots out of one block of farmland but I think they they look really appealing at the mid stages but then there would presumably be no way to stop them growing even if the farmland wasn't hydrated they would still occasionally get a random growth tick um, so I, I think you know putting string over the top of it or whatever might block it or something but even then i I like how chunky the root of it is and i think that looks really cool
0: i much prefer the models for plants when they add the three dimensions to them rather than being like a a pixel plane that's been crisscrossed you know like in the way Mm -hmm. that potatoes and carrots are um it works for things like grass but i don't necessarily it works for things like you know a pitcher plant whereas it you know they've made that change and i think I agree with you. Like it, it does look really, really good. I wonder if it would be weird to apply the waxing mechanic to it. Like if you wanted to go around and wax your plants and keep them all as like turnip looking pitcher pods. Um, I I think that would be cool. I think it would be a great way to kind of add um, some different visuals to the game. And it would be a way to add different visuals to the game without adding five different things to your inventory. Right. Because You'd have to wait until it hits the right stage in the world and then wax it. And if you miss it, then you got to dig it up and wait again, right? Like you don't, you don't get, you don't get the waxed pod at stage three. Like it's either planted in the ground as a pod, pick it up as a full grown plant. But if you want it at a certain level, then you'd have to play the game and, and, and get it to be you know, held at a certain point. I, I think it was great. I watched, when you said that in your video that I watched last week, I was like, yeah, no, absolutely. It, it looks like a turnip. <laughs> yeah. I, like I, I like the look of it. It's, um, it gives more, I don't know, more like a Minecrafty, cartoony vibe than I think. Um, I could take or leave the final picture plant. Like it's cool. I'm not going to say no to a new decorative plant, but it's not something that I kind of go, oh, wow, that's really, really amazing. And I will confess that part of that is because I've seen it before yeah we've all seen it on twitter before and Mm -hmm. so it makes me sad that that was a real thing that got leaked i kind of wish that was i kind of wish that that was a bunch of hooey you know and that someone was like given false information or whatever but it turns out that we have seen it before i don't remember if they got the name of it right but it's we've seen it before
1: yeah i don't Um, think i don't think the name was mentioned at the time um hmm. so avery and archaeo plays thank you for the correction in the chat uh cyan dye is actually produced by the pitcher plant so that is our first direct source for cyan dye at least in java edition i think there was a cyan plant in bedrock for or maybe pocket edition for a while um but yeah like if if you if you can only currently craft cyan from cactus and a blue dye then that's the first time we're getting cyan dye that's a really really interesting change
0: yeah long-winded way to get cyan dye like i feel like a flower (laughs) farm with some cornflowers and some cactus would be a much more efficient way of getting cyan cyan dye but you know to each (laughs) throne, i guess it depends on how many sniffers you have around if you have a lot of sniffers you could be okay and apparently it only produces
1: one cyan dye as opposed to getting two from the other two high plants so i don't know if that's going to be up for change or if that's just to kind of gate it behind the mechanics of getting a sniffer and only getting like a, a, a small source of cyan dye compared to cactus and cornflower farming or lapis or whatever else
0: I'm, a, I'm embarrassed i didn't check this if you bone meal a full-grown pitcher plant once it's down in the ground do you get another one
1: i don't think so i didn't check either but um yeah it seems like nothing has been mentioned on the minecraft wiki about that from the the article i'm browsing so
0: yeah and I, Chris uh, is mentioning no in the chat so that's yeah, probably yeah, okay. a unique thing it's they probably want the, the sniffer interaction to be the way that you get more of them not just yeah. do it once and then just bone meal them to get multiple <laughs>
1: yeah makes sense makes perfect sense um not a whole lot else that i want to discuss here just so that we can keep a lot of that for the uh for the main discussion this week um the other thing i wanted to mention very briefly is uh something you'd made a note of actually that uh, minecraft legends is only a few weeks away at this point we are what 3 3 weeks three. away from
0: 3 from tomorrow yep yes
1: um and in the meantime i went to a minecraft legends capture event in london with a handful of other creators Um, We met a few folks from the Legends team, played through the tutorial, and then did a 4v4 competitive match. Um, Unfortunately, my opinions and footage of that are embargoed until April 6th, so you'll have to wait a couple of weeks for my opinions on that. I'm not going to be discussing it here on the show beyond this, um, but the April 10th episode of the Spawn Chunks will be the first one after the embargo lifts, so I'm really looking forward to sharing my thoughts, and you'll spot some footage popping up on my YouTube channel as well.
0: Looking forward to that. Really looking forward to hearing your thoughts after some hands-on. Because we've been guessing as to what this is going to feel like for a long time. So definitely looking forward to that. In the meantime, do you want to bump on to some chunk mail?
1: Absolutely. Yes, we have a couple of emails to read this week. And if you'd like to email the show, the email address is, as always, spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The first one comes in from Lord Valor with the subject of Exploration Nightmares. Hello Joel and Pixelriffs, I've been playing Minecraft since 2016, but in recent years have fallen off from playing faithfully. I continue to stay up to date with the game and consume Minecraft content like this podcast and YouTube videos. But I recently began to play Minecraft again and started a new world. A problem I ran into is while exploring it would become night, and I wouldn't bring a bed because I didn't want to reset my spawn point. This got me thinking what if there was a place for the player to sleep that didn't reset your spawn point. My idea is to add a tent. It would be crafted out of leather and sticks and would allow the player to sleep while exploring but not reset their spawn. Thanks for the wonderful podcast and providing me for entertainment while I work. Lord Valor died of sleep deprivation because he refused to pack a bed. (laughs) Sounds like you died of phantoms more than sleep deprivation, but that's where it'll get you in Minecraft.
0: I've seen this in mods before, but it takes the form of a sleeping bag instead of a tent. It's smaller than a bed. It's easier to craft than a bed. And it avoids the awkward like triangle model of a tent that doesn't really fit in my Sure. Yeah. And I was thinking that in addition to this, uh, you could have it take up the slot of your chest plate when you carry it. So like you can't just put it in your inventory. If you pick it up, maybe you have to put it on your back, kind of like a backpack, like a bedroll. And that way it would have the same sacrifice that wearing an elytra does for movement. If you want the mobility and freedom of sleeping and not resetting your spawn, you can't have a chest plate on when you're moving around. And I thought that that would be kind of an interesting way to say like, well, you're more mobile, but you're more vulnerable. Granted, you're mostly walking around in the daytime, so you're not going to have as many problems. But I thought that would be an interesting way to approach it. I like the idea. I like the idea of taking something with you that allows you to sleep without setting your spawn, especially with all of the news that we are getting with archaeology pushing players farther and farther out into the world
1: yeah yeah i agree it'd be a good addition to exploration at this point it's the kind of thing that i've always resisted as like well we don't really need this but lately i've been moving my bed around a lot in just the area of my base so that i can you know pop in and out of this castle build and just sleep wherever I am and then just break my bed because I don't want to leave it as part of the environment or have to run back to it constantly but then if I go to the ends to repair my tools and I haven't set my spawn somewhere near my base I just end up back at the world spawn which isn't far from my base but if it was for somebody else or if you die in inconvenient circumstances then respawning at world spawn can be thousands tens of thousands of blocks away from from your base and yeah it it, it can be kind of nightmarish um so i think especially given the emphasis on exploration i would say since caves and cliffs but perhaps even long before that really uh they've identified it as a play style that people have exploration so why not serve that better by allowing players to you know sleep and skip the night without setting their spawn I get that that's the trade-off that we've been working with for a while, but it might be one of those touches that brings Minecraft into being a little bit more of a modern game. I'd say either that, or if the game kept like a behind-the-scenes list of the last few spawn points you set, and the most recent ones just had priority, and so if like your bed was broken and the previous bed was broken, then it'd still have like another location in the list that it could teleport to you, teleport you to before it you know, threw you back to, to world spawn. Um, I, I I would like it if there was some sort of failsafe in place for that. It would make a lot more sense to me that way.
0: Would, do respawn anchors only work in the nether?
1: They do, yes. Uh, yeah. They don't work in the end either. They explode there as well as the overworld.
0: Right. So like, but something like that could be interesting because then you could leave like a, a trail marker and set your spawn to that and then move on. Um, but then I guess that has the same problem of just dropping a bed. Yeah, and, it's, it's
1: and the reverse it's like problem, really. It's like, yeah. it's not so much about setting your spawn. It's it's about making sure you can skip the night without setting your spawn. So, yeah, yeah, no, I,
0: just, I was thinking about like what would be, like in terms of like the priority, like if you, you know how you charge up a respawn anchor, like if if maybe it didn't have the, an, a certain number of priority, it wouldn't reset your spawn. you know what I mean? I, but I, I don't know. It, I like the idea of keeping track of spawns. Like I like that thought i just don't know how you do that in game not in the back end you know what i mean like visually in the game communicating that to the player is one thing compared to doing it behind the scenes, right
1: yeah it just feels like one of those decisions that's been kept around for a really long time in the same way that mob spawning being light level 7 and below was kept around for a really long time before they mm. revisited that and said, why do we actually do that? And, and why could it not be made better for players now we have all of these different light sources? I kind of wonder if maybe revisiting the idea of having a bed tied to your spawn point as well as like tied to skipping the night, whether that's necessarily the right thing, it's just then what, what becomes your spawn point at that stage. It's, yeah. it's kind of difficult to extract the two from players' minds when we've been doing this for like 12 plus years.
0: Yeah. I mean, hey, we can edit both sides of a sign now. Maybe it's just a matter <laughs> of getting go. up on the right or the wrong side of the bed. You know, are you grumpy <laughs> Very good. today? Very good. Or you didn't reset your spawn, you know? Yes. That's how that goes. Yes. Our next email comes in from Viper Tricks, the Mourner. Hi, guys. What are your thoughts on the new Mourner Pottery Shard depicting the Warden? Is the Warden the one in mourning? The lore this suggests is so intriguing to me, and I wonder if it hints at any future plans for the Warden. I love thinking of the Warden as a creature to sympathize with and not just fear. tricks died trying to hug the Warden and give them some comfort. <laughs> it's a dangerous game. Um,
1: yeah, I definitely like the, the idea that this opens up a different dimension of the Warden and actually paints them as sympathetic. That's... That's fun. Names obviously have a lot of meaning behind them. And we know the Warden, from what they've told us in sort of Dev Diary videos and stuff, was originally called the Stalker when it was first being tested. And I wonder if maybe Mourner was another test name that never really saw the light of day. It um, could be a funny easter egg, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And on a more, like, in fiction level, it's potentially what the civilization who created these decorated pot shards called the Warden. Um, so so that it was maybe known as the mourner before players came along and renamed it the warden the warden seems like a more modern name for it because now it is seen as guarding something as opposed to I don't know maybe it is mourning being ripped from its homeland through that sort of central gateway whether that leads to a dimension that it came from originally or something like that that seems to be what a lot of players are theorizing so there's potentially like yeah it is, it is mourning the loss of wherever it came from potentially um but mourning is also a, a an act that we typically associate with grieving death and that sort of implies a very different relationship with death than the skulk currently has or how we interpret the skulk right now because we see it as something that feeds on death with it absorbing uh, mobs that die nearby and and taking the xp into itself to grow um but you know, mourning that somehow doesn't feel right for the skulk so it kind of implies the relationship between the warden and the skulk is a little bit different
0: i could also see it as like the warden is mourning the loss of whatever the inhabitants were of the ancient city that perhaps the warden was protecting and so the warden is now going through the stages of grief one of them being anger <laughs> maybe. maybe i don't know yeah maybe i mean the, the nice thing about the warden is that you can kind of headcanon it no matter like however you want whatever yeah. makes the most sense but i do like the idea of the antagonist in the area not necessarily being uh like a feared or like you're fearing it but you're not fearing it because of it's just unnatural, unbridled aggression it's it's got more perhaps more reason behind it than we know. It reminds me of Swamp Thing. I'm not sure how familiar you are with Swamp Thing, but <laughs> oh, Swamp yeah, Thing's yeah, kind yeah. of an anti-hero, right? Yeah. And I and I, f- I feel like that's kind of the vibe that I get from the email and the Warden is like very Swamp Thing vibes, like just kind of like get off my lawn. <laughs> I'm not inherently evil, but I don't like visitors. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like just that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no it 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 potentially has a little bit more depth to it and is becoming one of those villains that has an emotional arc all of a sudden (laughs) um but yeah i think people are so captivated by the warden in general that it makes sense that any ancient civilization would have painted it onto pottery to begin with and uh, maybe they just didn't know what to call
0: it at the time maybe So this week we wanted to dig a little bit deeper into Trails and Tails. A few weeks ago, Mojang stated that the new features for Trails and Tails had been announced, but it looks like the breadth of these features was not all on display in the experimental data packs. Now that we have a full snapshot and everything is actually in the snapshot, archeology span has been expanded with a total of 20 pottery shards for decorated pots and a new generated structure, the Trail Ruins, Armor trims have been expanded and rearranged slightly, and completely new to the scope of 1.20, the calibrated skulk sensors have been added, along with the new skulk sensor functionality with amethyst blocks. So what is the flagship kind of change that kind of grabbed your attention uh, with this snapshot, Johnny?
1: Well, honestly, I didn't know what to think of calibrated skulk sensors first and and the vibration resonance stuff, because that led the java snapshot article um but i feel like trail ruins were the one that really came out of nowhere for me um and i like the way they're implemented like they they seem like a really neat way of encouraging people to dig into like quite literally dig into the archaeology feature and they can be found It seems like they're biome agnostic from what I can tell. Like, they're not found in any specific biome. I found mine in kind of like a cross-section of forested areas. Um, So you're more likely, I think, to run into those than you are desert temples, which seemed initially far too isolated for me to really think, oh, that's just going to be an immediate destination for archaeology because... Like in in my survival guide world, for example, I had such a hard time finding a desert to begin with. It took me a really long time. And even then, I didn't find a desert temple. It was about 4,000 blocks out. So I think having those structures much more easy to find, or at least much closer potentially to any world spawn that you're likely to be thrown, I think it means people are going to be interacting with archaeology fairly quickly. Obviously, that plus ocean ruins now having archaeology as well but i think trail ruins feel like the more complete version of that where you are unearthing an entire structure instead of just scratching the surface with your brush
0: i agree i think that trail ruins line up with what i was envisioning archaeology to be in the first place yeah Um, much more you know when you compare it to you know being in a desert temple i i think that i would have way more fun uh unearthing uh, a trail ruin and something that i was relieved to find uh the examples that i was seeing in different videos i was watching were mostly in like jungles and I was mm-hmm. like, Man, i hope that th- i hope that's not the only place you can find them but then yours was like in a birch forest like okay yeah that's great like it, it's very very cool and they only just depending on the generation they kind of just stick out just a teeny tiny little bit and um i i did watch some videos where they kind of generated the structures in like a super flat world and so you yeah. get a real look at them and they're big yeah <laughs> and <laughs> Yeah, I think it would be a really fun experience to kind of go up to it, realize it's going to be covered uh, or potentially have like lots of blocks of, of um, um, suspicious sand and suspicious gravel. And therefore, if you dig it out like methodically, slowly, carefully, like you should uh, in in the idea of, you know, being an archaeologist. I think that would be a really cool experience because you're gonna be digging down, you're gonna be digging sideways, you're gonna to have to clear the thing out. Like how are you gonna get back up again if you're there too too long? Like you're gonna to have to set up camp up above with a bed and that's gonna reset your spawn right back to the email. Like there's all kinds of different ideas that you can kind of get in underneath these things. And I like that. I the one thing that I was confused on is that suspicious sand and gravel are in both are both in the trail ruins. And I believe they're both in the underwater ocean ruins as well. But I couldn't figure out from the the notes, because I think the notes from the patch log kind of contradict themselves. Can you only find sniffer eggs in the ocean ruins? Or is it in everywhere? You can only find sniffer eggs
1: in warm ocean ruins. And you can only find suspicious sand there. They don't have suspicious gravel as well. I think there might Ah, have been, yeah, something misleading there or something that we passed wrong when we wrote out the show notes initially but it's cold ocean ruins have suspicious gravel warm ocean ruins have suspicious sand gotcha. trail ruins have both but sniffer eggs can only be found in the warm ocean ruins
0: suspicious sand and that lines up to my early impressions of where the sniffers were going to be found because of the little mini um agnes and jens cartoon where um jens comes out of the water with yeah the they were head. diving for them yeah effectively. exactly yeah. And I think that makes sense. I think I I think I like to find like the sniffer egg in one of those ocean ruins versus a desert temple or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I you tend to see the ocean ruins a lot more often, and it adds another element of of challenge because they're often surrounded by drowned. So you're not just dusting off some desert temple. You actually have to like survive you know, the yeah. dive early game if depending on how you are you know in terms of your gear but then also fighting off drowned and and stuff like that i think that's a good place for it
1: yeah it definitely gives players a good reason to brew water breathing potions get respiration on their helmet maybe get a turtle shell helmet that kind of stuff and like you can do the on the fly kind of diving in a fresh world but it's tough to do even without the drowned you're potentially going to run out of oxygen so i think it's uh, a really good balance having them down there in the in the ocean ruins and I thought it was going to feel awkward diving down for them but once you get into a rhythm with it you can you can do it fairly fairly quickly and it's just about whether you're happy spending the time down there briefly locating one or two blocks coming up for air going again or if you want to be really thorough about it and potentially find some that are under the surface they're buried under the structure sometimes i found them underneath pillars when i was moving blocks around down there and i think it's worth trying to aim for that one or two blocks that you're not going to find just by glancing at it because those might be the ones that contain the stuff you're looking for the pottery shards the sniffer egg uh, you know a couple of other bits and pieces and potentially i think they have armor trims in there now as well right or is that just the trail ruins
0: no i think uh, the statement was that armor trim has been distributed amongst all five archaeological locations
1: right yeah so so not just the trail ruins that's cool again that gives another reason to go looking for archaeological sites of all kinds and yeah there's there's lots to do there um i am i'm really happy there are more locations to find suspicious sand and gravel with the trail ruin being added as well like i I think that's that that feels much more balanced and balanced to a variety of areas and activities right like you you find a trail ruin slightly closer to home you find a desert temple and you're looking for the loot from that but you get archaeology as a kind of a bonus and then underwater stuff is going to have a a whole different skill set involved with making sure you're maintaining oxygen and fighting the drowned and everything like that. Um, the I think the trail ruins will be fairly easy to bump into in the early stages but if they often occur in like woodland areas they might be one of those things that's difficult and a surprise to spot from the air when you're flying around with a Elytra in late games. So they sort of seem like a, an early to mid game implementation right now. I'm thinking also because once you've got efficiency and a effective shovel chances are you're going to be taking off that top layer of stuff and you're accidentally going to break a um a suspicious gravel or sand block because you'll just be digging at the same speed you dig regular sand and anything above efficiency three that's instant so it encourages you to be more careful as well which i think is a really good thing
0: wood shovel for the win
1: yeah definitely like wood <laughs> wooden stone shovel maybe even an iron shovel at that point yeah. um the one thing about trail ruins that i found most striking is the look of them the materials that they've used in order to construct them and they are meant to be ruins so we're not certain whether they are you know part of a a larger structure that mojang has imagined or if they've designed them specifically as ruins and i'm i'm really curious about that like i, I wonder if it's loosely based on ruins or existing structures from the real world or if it's meant to be purely drawn from the fictional world of minecraft in the same way that like village houses are Or if it's adapted from one of the developer's own build as a player and they decided to ruin their own thing and put that into the game. Like the origins of it really are something I find kind of curious. And it would be another fun project, much the same as people do with Bastions, although Bastions are a lot bigger of a time investment, I think, to renovate a structure like this and try and piece together what you think it would have looked like at its peak uh, when it was a newly built structure. I think that'd be a fun challenge for people provided that they're happy to either relocate the structures that they find or dig up enough of the ground that you can see it from a distance because those things are pretty buried and quite
0: large. I wouldn't be surprised if they actually don't generate in sunflower plains, plains, deserts. Like I, I would imagine they probably want them in slightly more interesting topography and or wooded areas. So that yeah. they're not quite as easy to spot you know uh mountain meadow same thing like it would be it would sound like a sore thumb so it would be cool if they were a little bit trickier to, to find because i again the ones that i've seen have only been in like jungles or forests so far um i've only watched a few videos but like i i think it's an interesting idea it's definitely going to make me more interested in interacting with archaeology and i like the fact that while the trail ruins are new getting some more purpose out of the ocean ruins is great as someone that plays on an end game server i have no reason to go to an ocean. sure yeah yeah unless i'm looking for a trident right like i just i don't need the loot um you do when you're doing an early game stuff like if i'm playing a snapshot and i go buy an ocean ruin yeah sure i try to figure out what might be down there but you know for me now i have a reason if i want to get you know those new flowers if i want to find the sniffer like i really have to go seeking out um ocean ruins and i'm sure the experience is going to be when i wasn't looking for them they are everywhere and when i want to find one (laughs) i am not going to be able to locate one to save my life
1: of course that's always the way Um, but one thing you are going to be able to locate because there are so many more of them now is new pottery shards Um, yes i'm really happy there are suddenly 16 more of these things that's a total of 20 and then 21 if you count bricks being used as blank faces for for the decorated pots Four felt like way too few, especially with the emphasis being on them telling a story. You could basically tell the story of, you know, something shot me with a bow and then I put my hands up, but then I got a diamond. That was like the only four designs that they had in the beginning. And now there are a bunch. There's flames, there's a heart, there's a heartbreak one where it's kind of cut in the middle. Um, It's, you know, the, the warden... Uh, one that I thought was a shulker, but I, I had a, a few people in my comments say that I think it's meant to be a sniffer. Um, and that, that makes sense. Again, tying it to the ancient civilization leaving behind these these fragments. And there's, yeah, like a whole bunch of different stuff which feels a lot more like a complete catalog of ways people can tell a Minecraft story through pictograms. Um, there's a villager face in there as well. Uh, you know, there's, there's all kinds of bits and pieces like that. There's a chest. Um, yeah it it does make a lot of sense that there are a bunch more of them and I am curious if the team is planning to implement any other common player wishes at this point like the ability to die pots or store items in them we've discussed those on the show before but it feels like this was the next step in that and if they are still dropping big snapshots like this where there's a ton of additions and changes being made to the features that we already know about then I'm crossing my fingers for one or two of those to pop up as well
0: some constructive feedback that i've had a number of times is is directionality and placing these pots because if you've got the the ability to put all these different images on them but yet all of your pots are going to be standing up vertically no matter which way you do it i i think that that would be really cool to be able to like have a bunch of pots together and have one of them lying on its side you know um i think if they were able to be placed like barrels it would really open them up as a full decorative block you could do all kinds of cool stuff with them i guess the downside to that is like if it was able to be placed upside down then the image is going to be upside down on the on the side of the um the pot but i look at them more as like the pot themselves rather than just the the shard with the image on it yeah Um, i'm generally more interested in just the pot however some very cool things that they've done which i applaud is the fact that when you stack them they um go inside one another or the the top of the block the hitbox is actually the big part of the pot not the actual top yeah the and neck so, is
1: is not like going to collide with anything it's not going to prevent you from placing a block on top of it
0: yeah and so if you wanted to try to embed these in the wall granted they're not going to be smooth because they are not a full block wide i don't think are they not i think they're they're like a chest they're like a pixel shorter than a yeah block. yeah like a chest or, or, a, or a sniffer egg I yeah guess. exactly but like if you got a terracotta wall and you didn't want to have a whole bunch of pots, you could line up a bunch of these like hieroglyphics, right? And kind of mm-hmm. like tell your story as you walk down the hall. And that would be really cool. Um, and I agree with you. I think that they they should hopefully open up some other things like, you know, dyeing them. And um, I, I don't think necessarily they'd have to have the same flexibility as signs. But I think that just dyeing the pot itself a different color uh, and then just having the Image on the pot be just like a darker version in the same way that it is now it's a terracotta pot with a dark terracotta image on it and while there are 20 versions of it it's still all red brown and i feel like you could do some more interesting things with that um i wouldn't necessarily want to just dye have control over dyeing the image because then you're just going to deal with some of those colors are going to be wasted because they're not going to look very good like red on a terracotta pot is not going to stand out as well as something like a white or a yellow um or something more vibrant and i mean i like i said i like most of them i think the only ones that seem a little bit strange to me are the sniffer uh and the chest everything else seems to be fairly central um i like the fact that the creeper is called danger i think is the name of the shard yeah yeah it's like it's like when people call snakes danger noodles you know (laughs) just like yep (laughs) yeah
1: it's funny i i sort of wonder if if we ended up dying them how that would work though like whether it would be combine the pot with dye in your crafting interface, and then if you place it and then you break it again, you get the raw pottery shards back and then you could re-dye them when they were made into another pot. Yeah. Uh, or, or do we end up with a bunch of different colored pottery shards and then you end up with a ton of extra item no. sprites and I, stuff? Potentially, yeah, right? I would
0: say it's the kind of thing where you'd sacrifice the die because dye is yeah. so easy to come by. I yeah, imagine, yeah. you you know, if you place it and you break it, you lose the die. I, that's fine. I don't need to, you know, I don't need to worry about that. It's it's very similar to the way signs used to work. You know, like if you had a sign and you had to edit it or change the color of it, then you'd have to, you know, you'd break it or whatever to change the text, like that kind of stuff. Because um, I've done that before where... I'm putting these details on my signs in, in um, West Hill. And if I do it wrong, or if I need to replace the sign, or if I change my mind, then I'm constantly putting the text back on the sign because I'm just always breaking it. Um, but yeah, I, I think that there could be some some possibilities there. I'm not saying that it has to be like all the things, but they've not given you a lot of options with dyeing terracotta anyway. Like the, the dyes for terracotta in terms of the block are are not what you would expect and they provide some challenges for players so they could do something similar here i just feel like there's it's going to be difficult like if you have i guess a, a room decor where a terracotta pot just you want to put one in but it just doesn't work very well you know like yeah i can't think about you know like maybe a a gray room or a or a, a room that's orange, and then this kind of like, well, it's not quite enough contrast to be seen. Like, I, I think there could be a little bit more flexibility. But I mean, I'm not slamming twenty new shards. Like, that's great. I yeah. like you thought four was too few. Twenty, good. Like, they're not. um th- They're all things that look interesting and unique in Minecraft, and they can be interpreted in a bunch of different ways. And I actually thought that the villager face was more like a villager house, like a desert house. But I could. Be- yeah that could be me just kind of like you know how you can optical illusions you people see two different things the same way yeah no i
1: i originally thought that was a a pot with a lid over the top of it because yeah the uh the the eyebrow kind of extends to both sides with that negative space line and so i thought this is a self-referential pot it's a it's a pot with a picture of a pot on it um but i guess it turned out to be a villager in the end um Let's move on to something else that you can find in Trail Ruins, though. Uh, new armor trims have been added. We've got five in this one, four of which are found in Suspicious Sand and Gravel, and the fifth one is in the Ancient Cities. Have you had a chance to look
0: at the designs? Have you got any favorites? I've seen the new designs. Uh, I I mean, more options are good for the people that are really into them. I do find overall they start to look the same. Like There's not a lot you can do once you start getting into all the different armor trims now um some have very unique designs but a lot of the kind of easy to find ones are almost indistinguishable especially when you get into like the boots and the legs it's like well this one is a straight line and this one is like a slightly arc to the line you're dealing with pixels in this you know and it's, it's not all that different unless you get into some of the other trims where you've got like the silence template which stands out as being very different yeah and while i like it I don't know that having one stand out so much is a good thing because I'm anticipating everybody instead of walking around in netherite armor, now everybody's going to be walking around in netherite armor with silence trim, yeah. which is unless you've got different colors, which is possible, you're still not going to be able to tell one another apart that well. Yeah. <laughs> so I, there's that, that I think that if they're going to go so far off the rails with the silence trim, then maybe they should push a couple of the others to the same level. And therefore also make them more unique, because if you're covering them with more pixels, you have more opportunities to make it look more interesting. And I think that that's a cool way. Um, I like a point that I'm not sure whether you made it or whether it was made in the Exumavoid video that I watched. But it's such a big change that you can actually make the armor trim look like emerald armor if you use emerald as the quote unquote trim because it takes up so much of the armor. Yeah, And that's cool, because it means that you can make your armor look like it's made of something completely other than the limited number of things that you can make armor out of now.
1: Or you can fake somebody out in a PvP situation... And yeah. mm. they think you've got iron armor, but you've actually got netherite, and it's just that iron is the majority of the the trim that you used. Um, I I think it's going to be in popular demand just because it's got that ribcage pattern on the chest plate. Yeah. I, I I saw that and I was like, oh, this is going to be everyone's Halloween costume. <laughs> this is this is going to be like a pretty obvious choice. But I yeah, I I do think the silence one is going to be the most popular out of all of them because of it being more than a 50 50 kind of like it's more than just a few pixels lines on there it's like more of the armor is trim than not um, which is yeah kind of kind of wild <laughs> um, but i think it's cool that they give the option and naturally you will need to find four of those in order to have a full set of them or you need to start sacrificing diamonds to duplicate the trim so you're going to need to raid some ancient cities for multiple people on a server to have them or somebody's going to get the opportunity to, you know, sell them to everybody else, I guess. But um, yeah, I think the the silence one is probably the standout. I think it's going to be that and the one with the circles on it because it makes you look vaguely like Iron Man. <laughs> I expect those are the ones that the, <laughs> the kids are going to like. Um, the others are fine. Like as far as the uh, the rearrangement of a couple of the templates and the uh, the remaining designs that we got like you more customization options always welcome we have more places to find them and in this case it's a way that requires more patience than that kind of raid and run approach that people will take for desert temples and jungle temples and just like go straight to the area where the treasure is and leave immediately this is going to be something that if you're looking in trail ruins you're going to be there for a little while patiently digging you're still going to come away with a reward that other players might not have the patience to find so it's rewarding different gameplay styles for finding armor trim which i think is good i think that's a really solid way of encouraging more playstyles and giving them the same rewards as a result of it
0: i think century was one of my previous picks like one of my favorites mm-hmm. and it's now the shaper armor trim so i i'm just gonna wait until we have the final release in terms of doing my homework as to like which are my favorites where are they located and then like go out and, and find them Um, because in case the names shift around again or the locations shift around again, um, as they make something maybe harder to get, then, um, I'm just going to wait until then. But I think the other thing that's, it's difficult without having a lot of time in and hands on is whenever we see these displayed, they're usually displayed head to toe silence, head to toe century. Well, what if you only like the silence chest plate and you want to do other stuff? Like, so knowing that the silence template is a lot, you could just pair it with some of the more minimal, you know, stuff. Because if if the whole silence um, look isn't your bag, you can always just mix and match. And I find that without having a lot of time to collect them all and try to, like, have your own little armor trim fashion show, like, it's it's going to be really hard to tell, like, what's the best balance for different different play styles and I know that I'm probably going to be putting red trim on something I just don't know what yet but that's mm-hmm. probably my going to be my go-to it's either going to be iron armor and red trim or maybe netherite and red trim depending on on how we roll
1: yeah 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 I, I'm I'm kind of looking forward to going back into single player and trying to collect a full set of everything I think that's going to be a, a fun challenge for people who run a single player world I think on multiplayer these are going to be like uh, either a, a joy or a nightmare <laughs> because right. of the amount of people who are going to go out and like raid any structure they can to hoard them but we'll uh we'll see how that all goes once 120 rolls around let's touch on calibrated skulk sensors before we wrap up here because these were like you said kind of out of nowhere and they're an expansion to the existing skulk sensor so it didn't really feel like a major feature they had to announce beforehand but i was not expecting this and i was pleasantly surprised
0: I was surprised as well in a a great way. And first off, love the fact that it's taking two existing things in the game from a previous update and tying them together in a way that they weren't before. Yeah. And and it makes sense because like one of the coolest things about amethyst blocks is the sound that they make when you walk on them. And they just have a vibe, to pardon the pun, uh, in Minecraft that other blocks do not. And now that you can use them in conjunction with skulk sensors for vibration resonance and also use the shards to craft a calibrated skulk sensor i think it's very very cool i confess i have not used skulk sensors to any great effect i really haven't been building many redstone things because i've been so focused on Westel for the last couple years but i like them i think they're cool i haven't really put my you know head to the grindstone to figure out how they work and how they work for me i feel like i might have been i guess someone that is going to benefit from that but for by waiting because i think it's become a little easier with the calibrated skulk sensor compared to the redstone setups that you'd have to do to filter out sounds and do different things and block things with wool and whatever um it all seems pretty i don't want to say straightforward i think there's still some some you know tweaking involved in terms of getting it to do what you want it to do um but i i like the ability that it has i think that It's very specific, which is why I don't think that everyone is kind of like jumping up and down and saying, this is so awesome. I think that it needs time in the player base to really figure out like, why do I want to send a signal strength of five, 200 blocks? Like what is going to, what is that going to be useful for? Mm -hmm. And once that's figured out, I think it's going to be really, really interesting. I mean, the thing that I think about is like, turning farms on and off remotely that you've like got far away that are very decorated or whatever. And maybe you don't want to run redstone lines, or maybe it's, it goes in a different direction or something that I've seen with all the examples of calibrated gulk sensors and the amethyst blocks, um, forwarding the signal as a quick way to set it up and display it on a video. It's all been horizontal. I've not seen anybody send signals vertical with this stuff. I'm assuming it just depends on where the skulk sensor is, like where the next skulk sensor in the chain is. Is it nine blocks above you or is it nine blocks to the left or right or front and back? And if that's the case, then I have definitely struggled in tight situations to get a signal to go up or down in a way that's efficient in Minecraft for a space, you know, situation. And if this will just send the beam, you know, the vibration up, in a straight line to the next skulk sensor that's awesome it's a very simple thing and i think it'll probably help a lot of ways and i remember um, watching the el mango video this week and they were saying that one of the tricky things about skulk sensors and using them in any kind of redstone build that's really complicated is that you often have a lot of other moving parts that are making noise yeah and so then the skulk sensor is going to be picking up all these things you have to encase it in wool from different angles and now you can just tell the calibrated skulk sensor no no ignore everything but precisely what i tell you to and we already have the tools in game like a chest with comparator or a hopper with a comparator to input the right signal strength into the calibrated skulk sensor so that you can just start with that i think one of the reasons why i haven't bothered with skulk sensors was the huge laundry list of things that made noise what vibration they made and how they would be perceived by the skulk sensor And they've done the reverse now. Instead of saying, here's a big laundry list of items, which they've now simplified, by the way, um, instead of saying that, they say, oh, no, no, you start with what you want it to be. Yeah. Right. And so you figure out like, what is the event you want to trigger or you want to trigger it? And then you calibrate it rather than trying to find the thing in the list that you need to drop or do or execute you know, next to it, you just say, no, 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 I don't want the, um, I don't need the button to be the trigger. I need the trigger to be the thing that turns on the sensor. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but it's, 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 it's like putting the chicken before the egg, like, and they've lined it up this way that the players can start with the signal strength going into the calibrated skull sensor, and then have that have a result as yeah. opposed to the result in the world be the thing that triggers the skulk sensor
1: yeah i i feel like i haven't used skulk sensors nearly as much as i kind of expected to and the calibrated skulk sensor is really addressing the two major problems i have which is filtering frequencies involves a lot of additional redstone components because it's like for the the version i was using at least it's three additional comparators one repeater a couple of redstone dust and like something else to produce a comparator signal so that you can compare them in subtract mode and like that that's minimum for making sure that it doesn't end up activating the skulk sensor or like activating the redstone output with either too low of a signal or too high of a signal if you just want to dial in one frequency it was a lot of redstone setup and the other thing is it was really hard to get a consistent result out of a sensor when any other vibration locks the sensor for a second or two and it has to reset before it can hear anything else and that's the thing about calibrated skulk sensors that's absolutely perfect for me is that it's not activating the rest of the time it, it dramatically simplifies the redstone setup for it because that's now down to just like a lectern with a 15 page book A comparator and one piece of redstone dust and that's a calibrated skulk sensor no like four or five different redstone repeaters and comparators all going into one thing it's like three things and that's all you need and then the skulk sensor can only detect a piston firing but not a piston retracting oh (laughs) it's just the perfect change to them and i mean it's not a change to existing skulk sensors it's a new crafting recipe so we can still use the old ones any which way we want to the crafted ones are going to be much more valuable for precision redstone engineering and it gives more valuable uses for amethyst shards and like the you know the resonance thing uh, is is cool with amethyst blocks but amethyst shards being in the crafting recipe it kind of reminds us that these underutilized materials so far have so much room for expansion and they're considering that when they want to do something new with with any of this and now do something with copper mojang i dare you (laughs) um but like before these were you could use amethyst shards for blocks of amethyst tinted glass and the spy glass and that was it i think um but now yet you have this as a as a recipe like it adds to another aspect of the game because tinted glass was good for technical players with it blocking light and you know good for decoration and the spyglass was good for exploration, but this feels like such a specific redstone thing uh, that is 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 wonderful. And I think it encourages me to use skulk sensors in a much more focused way than I had been doing before, where they sort of felt like they were more trouble than they were worth originally. I also love the fact that it's a player modification to a skulk sensor because these don't occur naturally. So it's almost like now the skulk sensors have been in the game and we've maybe developed this history for the the Deep Dark and the the Warden and the ancient cities and everything around that skulk as organism thing has been in the game for a while. Now players have figured out how to work that to their advantage. And now we're getting into the crafting recipes around that stuff that maybe you didn't expect, but you're just tuning it using amethyst. You've experimented with it until you've come up with something that works for what you need it to do. Um, I think simplifying vibration frequencies was a very good idea because now it's, like you said, a list of 15 items, but it's not a list of 15 items all subdivided into it's a fishing rod, it's a ravager roaring, it's a door opening and like all of the stuff being mismatched because they figured we wanted to be more precise about what actions players were doing. Turns out we want players to be doing one specific thing. If the skulk sensor is just going to be opening a door in front of us, and then we don't want the skulk sensor to be activated a second time by the door closing. Thank you very much. So I think no, it, it's it's a, such a good decision for them to have made this this change, and I I'm not surprised that people are excited about it because it it really makes a lot of sense. Um, I think the vibration resonance thing is cool. I have not found a great need for transferring a very specific frequency somewhere else because if I'm using skulk sensors as a relay for a redstone signal I really just want something at the end to turn on and off rather than to be told what the frequency was of the action I just performed at the other end of the the chain but I can see why people would want that and so it, it provides flexibility for scenarios like that but you know I found that skulk sensor relays don't feel like the most necessary mechanic for me i don't find many situations where a line of redstone dust would not do uh but i think it's a cool mechanic that
0: i'm sure people will find some very good uses for yeah the first thing that comes to my mind is mini games you know like you want to keep score of something and you want a specific thing and you can have well here's the thing like one thing you can't do with redstone is have a bunch of lines all next to one another you know you can line up repeaters, but you can't do a lineup of redstone but you could have Fifteen different lines of redstone with fifteen different signals, all running next to each other with these calibrated skulk sensors and amethyst stuff, right? Like it just—it depends on as long as you're using uh, calibrated skulk sensors as the receivers, then I mean they could be very close together if not touching. um I'm a little confused as to how you waterlog a calibrated skulk sensor, which I know you can do, but how do you do that without the water washing away the redstone that's supposed to lead into it?
1: Hmm. Good question. I. Kind of feel like if you can pass a signal through a block, does that does that just? I I I feel like you can you can pass a signal strength through a block, right?
0: Yeah, the only thing I can think of is like you have to put a hole, you know, like so the water drips down into a hole one way, and then your signal strength comes from the other way. So the yeah, yeah, I guess I guess so. That's to like a low gravity priority, right? That's an option. The thing there is that the distance on a skulk sensor and a calibrated skulk sensor is only nine. That's how far it listens. Yeah. And then you have to put an amethyst block in front of it. You have to put, you know, a redstone source behind it. And like all of a sudden, if you wanted to pass a wireless redstone signal across a corridor, your corridor is only going to be three blocks wide if you want to hide everything in a wall. Mm -hmm. So I feel like they could maybe differentiate the listing distance of a calibrated skulk sensor. Like maybe it's longer because we've amplified it or made it cooler, you know, with our tinkering as a player Um, because nine seems a little bit low Um, i can understand why a skulk sensor is only nine because you wouldn't want the things activating some from so far away that the player can't see them Um, in a situation like deep dark or in a situation where you know previously when you were trying to like use a skulk sensor to like hear a sound and therefore open up your secret base door you wouldn't want that happening when you were nowhere near the door you know and so i understand why the radius is a little bit lower but I'm curious as to as to whether they, they can maybe increase that because I think it could offer some really cool opportunities where like you're in a tight build or a really cool decorative build and you don't want to run a redstone wire across a place or under something. Maybe you can't because there's water, like a moat, something like that. I think it would be kind of interesting to kind of see whether they could push the distance on them.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I can I can see it having a, a lot of advantages and very few disadvantages that i can think of so yeah i maybe they'll consider doing that in the near future and let's be real they made a lot of changes this week that nobody expected them to make oh, and absolutely. and and so there's there's going to be a lot of tweaking a lot of like community feedback a lot of adjusting they seem pretty keen on doing that stuff so Fingers crossed for this next week and the weeks to come before 1.20 arrives. Uh, that is where we're going to leave this episode of The Spawn Chunks. Thank you so much for listening, folks. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show was composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can visit patreoncom The Spawn Chunks to join our community, where pledging at any level will get you an invite to our patrons only Discord chat. You can listen to the show live when we record it in discord every week we have our monthly minecraft audio hangouts towards the end of the month and we have a quarterly hangout coming up uh, there are 329 patrons currently supporting the show which is down two from last week so we'd love to let a couple more people in the door as well last week's patron count was 331 we'd love to get back up there and further a special thanks go out to our content engineers hunter555 jumbo Sail, and yitz thank you for your support on this episode
0: Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just poke a friend in the arm from a safe distance and let them know that they can listen on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Be sure to leave a rating and review on your favorite platform. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked on the spawnchunks.com. And the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast, as well as the Hangouts and quarterly Hangouts that we do from time to time.
1: My name is Johnny, but online I go by PixelRiffs. You can find most of what I do at youtubecom PixelRiffs, where right now I'm the king of Empires SMP. Let's see how long that lasts. I'm also streaming three days a week on Twitch, doing behind-the-scenes work for my YouTube series, and occasionally here and there I play a couple of other games. We're currently doing elden ring in co-op right now and it's a blast i'm also the voice of the unofficial hermitcraft recap which you can find through a quick search on youtube and aside from that i'm at pixlriffs
0: on both twitter and instagram joel where can people find you online everything that i'm doing online can be linked at joelduggan.com you can listen to my other podcast the sizzle cafe at the sizzlecafe.com it's about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment you can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on twitch where i've been streaming almost every day Often Lego on Fridays, although we're waiting a little bit as I push to finish Westil, mostly focusing on those last details on the medieval build every day on Twitch.
1: Thanks for visiting
0: the spawn chunks. The
1: world outside is infinite, but don't ruin those trails.